I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week completes with a very quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, they're joined by Hamilton Sidgwick to review last night's AEW Dynamite, and it is all change in all elite wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. Like on on one level, this was an absolutely incredible two hours of wrestling television. It was absolutely the two hours of wrestling television this company needed. But I was still, and I think I still am, shell shocked about the events surrounding it mm-hmm. that I couldn't 100% engage. Like, honestly, like, I was a little bit worried coming into this podcast about, like, my insights and stuff because, honestly, I can't even remember some of the stuff from the matches. Usually, like, I'm hyper-focused and, like, love every little sort of um, detail of the good matches and I'm just worried about the actual content because I was watching this and some of it was just washing over me. I couldn't focus or get the vibe right. It's a great two hours, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those, the more I think about it, the more this thing just very gently gets out the back of my head. I am obsessed with it. I can focus on the good. But as the actual lived-in two hours experience, watching it was just rather strange. Mm. It was like two things at once, and that one thing just couldn't, couldn't stop getting out of the way of the other. But like, great. But I just couldn't get that into it. I and Wrestling never stops, as we always say. But I... This is the closest it felt to a season premiere of just like, that was all in the past and this is now and we've just taken the board and sort of shaken it and all, where the figures land where they are. But I thought considering we were going in and, you know, people understandably thought I was mean, maybe being a bit hyperbolic talking about an implosion in AEW, but it was, you know, seismic no, change. It if, is. if you said you're taking out these four major, major figures and not just, you know, 
taking out, taking them out, having them vacate their titles, wiping them off the entrance video, etc., etc. They may, they may well return. They may well all return. There's some are suspended. Some we don't really know about. But like, it was incredibly well handled. Yeah, I don't have like any of Cedric's apprehensions about this. This is my favorite dynamite of the year, and I think people should be sending their thank yous for the attention of CM Punk. Like, for blowing everything up again. Like, <laughs> I loved this episode of Dynamite. I think this was the episode of Dynamite AEW needed. And moreover, and it's maybe something we will discuss in longer form coming soon, I think there were changes that couldn't have occurred without an inciting incident. I wish it didn't escalate to physical violence. I feel like the need to go back and say that mm-hmm. because I enjoy the rest of the drama. Punches should not be thrown by big, dumb idiots that should be grown-ups in their place of work. But um, last night, I just felt like emboldened by the possibilities within AEW again. There was a fog that felt like it had lifted. Uh, 2022 has been a decline for AEW. I think, like, the graph has gone downwards in terms of quality, and it's the kind of things that you... It's so subjective, isn't it, you know? So, like, we've all sat around here, and there's been weeks where we've all agreed that was quite a bad episode, or, like, the second hour was a bit rough, or this one moment was worse than all the good stuff on the show, whatever. I think all of it has been... has, like, kind of ultimately come together to represent a decline in the mm. quality of AEW's output. Caveated by us, I think that we always say that we hold it to a higher standard. Yes, of course. Of course, of course, and we, we just want that standard to be yeah. upheld. But, honestly, last night felt like everybody... Like to a man and woman in the company has taken a long, hard look at what it is, what it is they're doing here. Tony Khan, especially, and you know, again, if you listen to either our All Hell Breaks Loose podcast or I think the still valuable insight in the preview because we didn't really preview you Dynamite about yesterday. Forty-five minutes like, about the punk situation and don't mention any matches from you know, tonight. We tried, I think, as a as a group to apportion blame to a number of different parties for what has gone on. But the point was, it's more than just a fight. There was a lot of things that I think needed airing that have either been done through the subtext of or through CM Punk's words that did need airing. And last night felt like, I don't know, such a such a relief, such a relief. I felt like I was watching AEW Dynamite again. I could feel the enthusiasm of particular wrestlers. I could feel the collaboration, which is what it should be because wrestling's fake, like in a way that I haven't felt for a little bit of a while, singing from the same hymn sheet throughout the entire evening. I've got such a good positive energy about this product again. Like... And I do honestly think, we've said it before, like wrestling has a, a strange way of needing some of these things sometimes to sweep the decks a little bit. But I, I was just in a good mood from like minute one, uh, minute, I can't do the maths anymore, minute 120 from the two hour show. Before we delve into it, just one more further um, take, I guess. This felt like to me the March 18, 2020 dynamite. <laughs> the first one in that Empty's Daily. All oh, right, right, yeah. Where it's like this vibe is stunningly weird, surreal. I'm in a dark place with this promotion and indeed my goddamn life. How have they managed to do this two hours? Mm. <laughs> How have they made me escape? It was a masterpiece. It was a possibly immoral masterpiece, but it was a masterpiece nonetheless of two hours of TV. And I had the exact same thing where I'm thinking this is the vibe's all wrong. It just feels different in this way that I don't want to reconcile. But the two hours that followed were absolutely exceptional. I thought this is. I'm. Interested in this? What's what? Can you articulate that more? Nah, it's, it's just a vibe. Thing. It's just a feeling. Vibe it's thing, just a yeah. good feeling of. Um, is it something that's been lost? Is it so, like because I feel like this company's never been in better health? I'm I like think, I'm looking at it. I think this needed to happen. You know, like the growing pains might have yeah. just finally been like that. Like that, this thread might have finally been pulled out in, for the best possible outcome. You I know? think maybe it was because it was a lack of actual resolution, a formal announcement um, of who and. 
who has and hasn't been fired or suspended. It's all been quite rumoured at this point. And stripping the elite of the trios titles, I did not expect to happen. I did not expect no. that to happen. I thought that if you add everything together, it kind of feels like... Well, we were talking about yesterday on the preview, the uh, Sports Illustrated Justin Barrasso piece where, right, okay, the elite and Nakazawa and Pat Buck and Daniels, they're all suspended. Punk and Steel are at risk of being fired. That would indicate to me that, right, okay... They've determined through their investigation that CM Punk was a bit more wrong or a lot more wrong, a bit more wrong at the very least. So for them to strip no interim, the titles from the elite made me a little bit, God, could they be out? I can't have the elite leave this company. I just can't. Mm. So maybe that affected my vibe, but I kind of felt it from the start. I think it was a case of ripping a plaster off. Uh, like I felt better that the title, like... Let's you have to change the name of the company if the elite go. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I like. I didn't. Like, I thought there would be more of a feeling of abeyance if the if it was an interim thing or if it was just that everyone's on pause. I well, I like applauded the commitment to that as a as a wave. I think like you can't move forward unless you're actually moving forward. So moving the belts off the elite felt like and CM Punk as well. Like felt like that big step. I think there's a little bit as well just about how hyped he was about Dynamite last night. Remember when I say sometimes, like, I really like this episode of Monday Night Raw because I got loads of sleep beforehand or whatever. What cereal did you have with this? Had Magic Spoon Fruities. Some of them were blue. And there's no sugar in them. This isn't an advert at this point. (laughs) There's there's no sugar in them. I don't don't know how it works. (laughs) What are they doing? Right, let's dive into this episode then. It opened with Excalibur greeting us, uh, and then they obviously recapped the events of All Out that we saw (laughs) uh, with uh, notable absence CM Punk. It was all about MJF and returning and saying, this belt's mine and what have you. Uh, And then we get a uh, taped message from AW president Tony Khan. I'm so sick of authority figures, man. Um, announcing, I'm joking, of course, announcing that the, yes, the, the world title, the trios titles, they've both been vacated. Uh, the trios titles are going to be on the line later in the pre-advertised trios match, uh, Death Triangle. Can you make a save to dog's life? And that's the thanks he gets. <laughs> that's right. A complete lack of justice in this situation affected my mood. I'm, I'm kidding. Best friends versus Death Triangle later. <laughs> Uh, I just think, what if it was uh, Brandon Cutler in a tracksuit and then it would have been Leisure Suit Larry? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we joked about this yesterday, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of kind of sick of tournaments right now, if I'm perfectly honest. They've done it so much. And then they said, the Grand Slam Tournament of Champions. And I was like, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Well, you, you son of a bitch, you listen to our podcast. Yeah. Like, uh, let's take a victory lap for basically booking the first half an hour of this show. Tournament, <laughs> tournament included. Like, the exact people and the exact set. Well, if you're going to run a tournament, it's got to be the best, the best, the best, the best. It It will conclude at Grand Slam uh, in two weeks' time. Um, We have first-round matches, one of which happened later on in this show, uh, Hangman Page versus Brian Danielson. And on Rampage this week, which we'll, of course, preview on the uh, Rampage preview tomorrow, Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen. The winner of Page Danielson faces Jericho. Uh, Good job we didn't spoil who won that uh, before the match actually happened. And uh, Sammy versus Darby, the winner of that, faces the... Incredible John Moxley. Uh, what a tournament. Before we you know, get even further Oh my God, this. I want to talk about this. This is absolutely phenomenal on three fronts, right? One, it's definitive. There's like four fronts. One, it's definitive. There's no interim. There's no qualifier. There's no asterisk. This is the champion. And smash cut to 10 minutes later, it feels like a championship belt again because someone in this company is a goddamn genius. So there is that. Maxwell. One... The big complaint about AEW 
before all of this kicked off is that Tony Khan's too stingy and cheap with his dream matches. And yes, we know why he does this to make the pay-per-views feel enormous, but it was a little bit to one end of the extreme. And we were losing big matches. We were losing big matches and all the rest of it. So he's got at least one monumental rematch, potentially two, and they just all feel big. They all feel big. The idea at the core of this promotion is that wins and losses actually matter. And on a grand scale, this tournament proves it. It retrospectively rewards your three-year-long investment in this Mm. company because, all right, all of their historical achievements matter. It's not like changing a gimmick or, oh, that guy got pushed for three weeks and then he got binned off and, oh, Christ, can remember when he was the Intercontinental Champion? Absolutely nothing Mm. like that. It makes it seem like absolutely everything matters, right? So that's awesome. The continuity, the idea that wins and losses matter, that's what this company is. As Hanford points out, this is what AEW is. And the last thing is that it's very savvy because we've seen Page versus Danielson. We've seen Mox versus Danielson if it goes there. We've seen Jericho versus Daniels, uh, Jericho versus Moxley if it goes there. We've seen Jericho versus Danielson, but we haven't seen them enough because... Quite frankly, there is an obvious benefit to Tony Khan's very patient, patient approach. But if this is, in fact, a bold new dawn for AEW, he's not even hot-shotting. He's doing dream matches, but he's not even hot-shotting anything because he knows that there's lots of stuff still to leave on the table to convince them to get the best TV deal possible. But at the same time, because he hasn't been very undisciplined with his booking, these things feel like worthwhile, fresh, must-see, big matches. This is a masterpiece, the only slight flaw to which is if there was a really well-created ranking system, Mm. then you could have had this thing where it feels like the five or four, you could have done a, because it's always top five, you could have had the top four and a semi-final each, and it would have felt like the four guys who are the most winning guys. Like the tag one. Yeah, the the tag tag one we all love, where you tease out the matches and you don't have to deliver them because you're working up the rankings. But it's a 9.9 on Pitchfork. Like, it is a (laughs) 9.9 on Pitchfork, the booking of this tournament. And we said beforehand, on our preview, you know, he's going to have to Vince McMahon this, i.e., not what your brain is obviously turning to right now, instead about over-delivering on a show because of the things that you've lost. And my word, what yeah, what an over-delivery this was in terms of, like you say, promising all these matches. And not having any, like, I don't even mind that Moxley and Jericho get a bye because I'd rather that than Moxley versus, no offence, like Brandon Cutler or someone like that. Right, so yeah, that was going to be like the first point I was going to make about this tournament. There have been way too many plot holes. That one of the things I think the complaints about a lot of, we have had a lot of tournaments this year, but it's context is everything and everything should be judged case by case. Um, tournaments, title shots, qualifiers, all that kind of stuff, is, they've been way too fast and loose. Nobody that I saw, certainly online, watching live and tweeting along with it live last night, nobody complained about Jericho and Moxley being in the, the advantageous positions they were in. Contrast that with Hangman Page not even getting into the number one contender's Battle Royal. Yeah. Oh, he's got this match with, was it Clark Connors or David Finley? Like, like David Finley yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, if only I wasn't wrestling David Finley. It was like, what the fuck's going on here yeah. in this sporting framework promotion? Like, such a huge difference. This, I would counter, this wasn't a bold new dawn. It was a bold old one. <laughs> yes. This felt like AEW making sense again. Again, people like the cold water in the face, this whole incident has created, has made everybody just stop and take a breath and think again. There's not been enough thought. Loads of like unfocused stories and developments that just aren't becoming of 
Tony Khan operating at peak level within AEW and within the things that they'd very carefully set up. Um, and this tournament was just one of the many examples on the show. The Vince McMahon element of over-delivering came when you've already had these two fantastic promos to open the show. And then as the first match is taking place, uh, Excalibur dropping in commentary that Hangman Page and Brian Danielson is tonight. Yeah. And everybody, like, the graphic, tonight! Like, that's... <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. What? That, that's the feeling. <laughs> that's the whole point of the feeling. When the graphic of Kurt Angle and the Shield flashes up, you say, what? Mm. Like, yeah, that, brilliant. So it was super effective. Also... Because I never want to pay him any credit. There's no baby face billionaires, and he's a weird guy. But this was Tony Khan's best ever night on camera, ever. Mm. And, like, pre-tape everything from now on. Absolutely, yeah. Take as many takes as you want, because you don't need to be a perfect promo. You don't need to be a perfect performer. You don't need to hold the mic right. You need to be, like, not to use your words, because you were using them spikily. You need to be an authority figure, as in a figure with authority. Jack Tony sat behind a desk. Yes. Right? This is what Tony Khan should do when he has to appear on television, not come out and do his wide-eyed, I'm all ring of honor. Are we cool with that? Like that. It's four months later, I'm not. <laughs> it was weird. It was. It contributes to the narrative of his ineptitude around this situation. Like it's, It'd be one he thing. He got if, booed, like. Yeah, he did get booed. Like, he's sort of, he's lost that room. So win it back by being a great booker and minimizing what people can say or think about you outwardly. What's funny about that is he proved himself to be a great booker in the fans of in the minds of many online fans. But I think Brandon Thurston, who's a Buffalo guy, at WrestleNomics, check him out. He's the absolute most astute business mind, not named Dave Meltzer, in the wrestling coverage sphere. Mm. Reported or yeah, reported. There's no better word than that. Between Dynamite and Rampage, when he came out, he got booed then as well. Really. But as he said, there are going to be fans of the Elite and CM Punk. If you're watching this promotion, you like both of them. It's all right, like both guys. You either like <laughs> both of them or at least one of them. I don't think anyone in that building would have disliked Omega, one of the young books, or CM Punk. Like, So it's always going to happen. Yeah, and allegedly they're going to be suspended for way over. No, so, you know, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't isolate anything from last night to put on the soundboard, no, could you? Like you just, you just did the business and got on with it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the real star of the show came out, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. MJF is back. He comes out, get a hero's reception. He's in a Buffalo Bills jersey. He is, <laughs> he is adored by this guy. It was surreal. It was Bizarro World or whatever they used to call it for, for, a, for a brief moment at least. He drops to his knees where normally it's a cacophony of booze. And no, he is being just showered with adoration. Uh, and even when he announces the devil is back, they're like, yeah, the devil. <laughs> uh, he says, who's excited to see MJF? And then he puts over the greatest quarterback of all time, Josh Allen from Buffalo. Uh, he said, look, hey, guys, look, last time you saw me, I might have said some offensive stuff, but we all know I didn't mean it. I was just, I'm just kidding. The last resort of a, <laughs> of, a, of a desperate plea for uh, acceptance. He says, oh, I, I love AW. I'll never leave. Hey, he does. <laughs> hey, he does. The crowd goes with it. Um, he said, look, when I called you all stupid marks, I didn't mean it. He talks to a, a lady in the crowd. He says, look, without you guys, there's no me. How about a round of applause for ourselves? Tony Schiavone's going, what the f- is going on? <laughs> Uh, and he says, look, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. This world title stuff, it's been vacated. There's going to be a big tournament, as you've just seen, a new champion. Uh, I think I think of one guy who deserves that title. He says, but I'm about working smart, not hard. So I'm not going to be in the tournament. 
I got a chip that gives me a title shot any time I want. And Tony's paying me a boatload of money as well. He says, look, uh, there's one thing to be true. Uh, you might think we're in dark times now, but we're not. What we need right now is leadership. And I can't think of one person more trustworthy. And then he starts on this stuff about Moses, a wise Jew with an M name. But I'm not Moses. I'm better than Moses, he says. Uh, I'm going to win the title because I'm MJF and I'm better than you. And you know it. Oh, well, actually, he's better than us and we know it. He pretty much got everyone to say it along with him. And then he is interrupted, surprise, surprise, by John Moxley. Just a bloody promo train with interruptions. Here we go. Uh, he makes his way to the ring, obviously. Wild reaction for, for Moxley, understandably. He comes in, he goes, MJF, you're full of it. Uh, MJF calls him Jonathan, of course. Um, and uh, he says, me? Not being sincere? In front of these fat lard asses? You've got the worst football team in the U.S.? He takes up the journey. He says, Josh Allen sucks. <laughs> he rubs his ass with it. Uh, he says, John, I don't know if you're a, a little bit woozy. You uh, you went to sleep on Sunday after all. But, hey, maybe you have got a point. Maybe MJF doesn't care about AEW or these people. Maybe I, uh, maybe I just view this AEW title as a bargaining chip for the bidding war of 2024. <laughs> Uh, maybe you'll take that title to a real wrestling company <laughs> with real fans and real wrestlers like my best friend and my hero, the Cody Roadster. <laughs> uh, hilarious. Uh, and he says, maybe just maybe I get to work for a real boss. The only Khan in pro wrestling worth a damn. Jolly old Saint Nick. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, because he's going to do, to quote, the greatest wrestler of all time, he's going to do what's best for business. Understandably, John Moxley doesn't take too kindly to all this. He slaps the microphone out of MJF's hand. He says, this isn't the time or place. I'm in no mood. You need to leave now or I'm going to make you leave. Uh, and M he removes his jacket and MJF takes off his scarf and t starts taking off his shirt and... Hang on, wait a second. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Someone's been working hard in their time off, and it looks like it's about to go down, but, yeah, Max is smarter than that. Save that for later. He slides out of the ring, furious, but uh, smart. Smart decision. Save this fight for another day. Th this promo doesn't end here, but I feel like this is an accurate point to pause and get your thoughts on oh, all of this. Situational... Perfection, but I could not help but mourn the fact that this guy, the best promo of his generation, mm -hmm. that might in fact sell him short, mourning what he spent three months coming up with and can't, it just had to bin, had to bin and had to scrap and had to abandon. It was as if he never left, which is not the point, but obviously he's not to blame for this. The fact that he cut this phenomenal promo, perfect for the situation, just a measure of his young budding genius. But at the same time, I couldn't help but think what could have been, which kind of did inform my mood and the, the way I received the show throughout the evening because the guy's obviously spent three months. Imagine him with three months. He gets a week to do his 9.8s on Pitchfork. He could have got his 10 out of you 10. three days to fix this. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's just I was a little bit in mourning because it felt like, yeah, yeah. This was great. 
But I uh, listening to the notes he didn't play gave me the heebie-jeebies a bit because what I want out of all of the situation is the pipe dream <laughs> <laughs> that CM Punk comes out and says, you know what, I'm an absolute massive arsehole who's completely and utterly um, ruined the pay-per-view that everyone involved took loads of bums for, spent loads of time building their stories for, and have completely ruined it by mm-hmm. being a self-serving dickhead, right? And that is what, multiplied by 30 in the case of MGF, who's took this three months to just craft all of this, and now it's just absolutely ruined. Absolutely ruined. Um, so I couldn't help what could have been. And the fact that there were little subtextual digs, right? The fact that no one's come out and said, fuck him, and I'm going to bury him, makes me think that it's just not he's not coming back or he's not coming back imminently. Do I even want him back? The only reason why I want him back is because he's so good. But the fact that this went the way it did and no one went two-footed studs up horror challenge, they're getting sued. <laughs> like, are they worried that he's going to really try and like go for their throat because he likes going to court, even though he claims he doesn't like going to court? Um, I think the new Wednesday Night War is going to be the gradual uh, culture war that me and Sage have over CM Punk. Like when yeah. it's, I think that's where this is going to end up, where we start getting snippy with each other over like what, what we're saying about Phil. It does, however, deserve to be put over, so I'm going to absolutely put it over. The fact that he very, very astutely and deliberately fat-shamed a member of the audience and then was, I'm just kidding, why would I ever do that? And I think that was the subtext dig, because that's yeah. all you can really get uh, uh, away with in this situation, it feels like at present. That was fantastic. His delivery was absolutely fantastic. And the way he shifted that audience was fantastic. It was like a proper tag team double spot between him and Mox um, because this man was beloved, absolutely beloved. And he had to, A, tell a brand new story, and B, just kind of make everyone forget that he had a much better one, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And he did it, but at the same time, I couldn't help but mourn what could have been. I didn't have any of it. I didn't have any of that. Not a single bit of that. I was so lost in, like, I was so full of confidence that you would do this. We said this yesterday. I was like, if anyone you would trust to fix this, it's John Moxley and MJF. We weren't soothsayers. We were logical, right? I thought, he, like, from the moment he came out and, like, he goes and he runs over and he hugs Taz, and I realised what's going on here. This is not the MJF that... I forget where he's from, Long Island? Long Island. Where, like, they do the situational baby face. Like, oh, there's not even any spice to his words. He's just, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Like, this was, I love you with spice, because that's where MJF is right now. With that pop he got in Chicago, you cannot just bring him out and be sneering and have, like, a nasty look on his face and all that kind of stuff. You had to bring him back as this guy. So I was completely all in on this at the beginning without ever once, until Sidgwick said it this morning when we were talking around the desks, I hadn't even considered that. I was like... Oh, yeah, there probably was something really good that was related to the story that would have existed had CM Punk not blown the world up on Sunday. I, I just was completely in love with this promo. I I can't remember too many um, instant classic promos where it, the, the requirements have been so difficult, and yet he's... Hell of a tightrope, yeah. Yeah, check, 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 check. He's absolutely nailed them all. There are very few occasions where somebody that's got to straddle a line and where somebody's got to like really find something within their own performance ability to be able to play both sides 
Like the, what's that? You know the theatre, the happy and sad face. Yes. Like him being able to do that as a baby face and heel, I thought like it was just really dexterous. Like he was doing it mid sentence sometimes. Like he would he would have the neg lined up, but when MJF negs, mask it, sort of slips. Yeah, yeah. when MJF negs t- people, typically he's just it's a it's in this wave of cruelty. But it was like I'm going to do this and then go all the way back to being the nice guy again, and then do this and go all the way back to being the nice guy. We're going to get onto Moxley, mm-hmm. but like, Sidgwick was kind of pointing out there when he comes out when he first says like I don't not happy to see you, he gets booed. Because people are still just so like in love with MJF, and then you realise where it's all going, and the fan the fans are kind of gleefully kind of playing along. Honestly, I think everybody in the building. Talk, what a subjective thing this is, because we're both sort of disagreeing on vibes. The thing you cannot quantify <laughs> is vibes. I felt like everybody in the building, and I was with them here, were just so glad to be seeing like wrestling being done the proper way, cooperation. Fun and games. Manipulating the audience brilliantly. Yeah, wanting to go along with being manipulated and be part of the show. And like, it's like you were worried about the hijack, weren't you, Sid, when we talked on the preview yesterday? Yeah. I was like, I, it was in my gut that the last thing people would want to do. AEW just isn't that promotion yet. I tweeted about this last night. Going into a chaos Raw or SmackDown, and there's been plenty of them this year, everybody tunes in wanting to, like, as the as the meme of the guy with the Sickos t-shirt on going, yes, yes, like what, Vince is on TV. Ah, like, there was a different vibe online last night. People were wanting to, like, AW was still, like, the warm, cuddly teddy bear. People was like, oh, I hope you get through, TK, long boat. That's, that's my Papa H. TK, TK. Like, people still have, the, it's a hot water bottle. Don't rip my gimmick off, you cock. But that's what it is. Like, your Papa H, I've lived this for like three years <laughs> Tony Khan's a weird guy and I've never been into like that sort of like it's just a wrestling company it's not your mate it's not your like it's none of that right AEW has cultivated a parasocial relationship you've been a bit sell, of a mark right now so maybe it is to sell tickets and t-shirts right <laughs> it is it is lent We're doing pretty well for a t-shirt company yeah. it is lent hard on parasocial relationships that started at the merch table started at the gimmick table to form an entire wrestling company so I, I think like people approach this night very differently including the people in the building, and including me, as somebody that like knows that I feel way more for this product when it's hot than I do WWE now. Like, and I just felt instantly like everybody was completely back in and back, sort of, you know, like chivying the talent along. Like everybody sort of got on board and we like, oh, that was like a legit trauma that everybody went through. Let's work through this together rather than a WWE scandal being like, oh, what's going to happen here? Like, which which talent's going to get absolutely buried because this show's gone off the rails? Yeah. People didn't want the train to be derailed on mm. this two hours, and you could feel that from the moment MJF came out, I thought. Uh, that was followed by John Moxley, who said he likes this business and wants to win the world title. Then we got Death Shut Triangle up, versus Best Friend. <laughs> John Moxley, uh, as MJF's walking out, says, your theme music sucks. <laughs> Uh, and he says, look, I'm pissed off, uh, and he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed about many things, but none more than the fact he lost the title on Sunday. He says, look, the belt itself is just leather and gold. It's what it represents. Passion for this sport, for this business. Uh, for the fans, for the guys in the back. Um, AW and the title represent heroes. This really hit home for me. Heroes during a pandemic when the world needed heroes. Oh, my God, I did. Uh, and it was nice of him to not just say, me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nobody else, mate, it was you. <laughs> uh, the dream and vision they all had, they wanted to show the world just what wrestling could be. Um, he says uh, the championship uh, you know, re- represents the, the dark and ugly side of this business. Uh, letting all that die with an older generation. It means being better than he was the day before, even if it's just a little bit. Slaying demons. Everything he loves about this business. Uh, On Sunday, I lost. That's on me. That's my fault. I got pinned. I missed the game-winning shot. 
Like, I was supposed to be on vacation right now until about two days ago. But here is another chance for me. The tournament, a big rock to push up to the top of the hill. He puts over Jericho, Danielson, Darby, Paige, Sammy. Hikes them all up. Uh, he says he's got. we've all got a hell of a task to win this. Um, but winners always want the ball when the game is on the line. He wants the ball. He's going to take the shot. Oh, my God. This isn't just oh the time. This isn't just the time From to the win. <laughs> this isn't just the fourth quarter. Michael Hamflet, this is the time to be a legend. I loved this. And then it occurred to me that John Moxley does this every single week now. Like, the task is often different. The task is sometimes to sell a story or a title match or the fact that, like, your champions got injured. In this case, it was just to, like, save a burning company and he did it and of course he did it this was as amazing as this was i wasn't even surprised john moxley has raised the bar beyond possibly anybody in professional wrestling history the natural comparison here is going to be the night that um the rock came back on that raw like if you don't like like this get the f out because it was handy to tie in a slogan at the fact that steve austin had left there was something very neggy about that and the rock was being a good soldier but it's like you you know you got out you didn't have to go through what steve austin's yeah. going through you got out um John Moxley didn't want to bury CM Punk here. That much was clear. He didn't want to bury anybody, but he did want to do the town hall, like, call to action that same way that The Rock did that night. This was utterly, utterly mesmerizing. I just, like, you cannot take your eyes and ears off John Moxley for a second because every single word is more powerful than the last, and what a gift that is. So few wrestlers have it. You could believe that he's gone out there without even knowing what he's going to say. Mm. And the words have just come out because it's natural, because it's real. And like nobody, absolutely nobody in pro wrestling that I can think of is as valuable as John Moxley for that. Like making all of this feel real. What do we say yesterday repeatedly? It's like, ah, oh, thing is, punk, you've made everything feel fake. Like a real fight makes everything feel fake. It didn't have to John Moxley spoke. Like nothing was fake. Nothing was a pantomime anymore. He was the first one to say it. Like Vince McMahon himself outlawed the word belt because he said a belt's an object, a championship is something that people want to fight for. Moxley said, why not both? Mm -hmm. It's just leather. It's just metal. But all of these things are figurative. All of these things are about what it means. And that just immediately dealt with this issue of, I will fake titles mean nothing when people are fighting around dogs and wives in locker rooms and stuff. You know, and he did it and he fixed it. And he fixed it before a trios title match where those belts had needed fixing too. He is the leader. He is the man. And AEW are absolutely, and we are, are just absolutely blessed. I mean that, blessed to have him. Like, this is not hyperbolic. This man is vital to the health of professional wrestling. That's how good he is. This is a man. Google John Moxley for me very, very, very quickly. And I'll just uh, talk some bollocks. <laughs> uh, what are we looking for here? Uh, this is a man who is somehow... Younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's portraying a fictional man on television. I am a grown adult. Grown-ass man. <laughs> Wrestlers love that one, don't they? Mm. Two kids and wife in a house and responsibilities. And, you know, I'm not a child. I'm not a teenager. Escapism is hard. A lot of the time. And this man is my hero. Yeah. <laughs> like legitimately is. That's how powerful this guy is. This is how incredible he is. And this is just. He's just the absolute man. Just the most. And again. It's. No one wants to do form a parasocial relationship with a wrestler. It is weird. It's not the way it's meant to be done. How can you not just think he's the best? <laughs> just think he's the absolute best. Um, and he's just. Like so good 
at playing the A's. Do you know how hard that is? Him and Danielson are both so good at this. And Omega, and when he's not being an arsehole, CM Punk, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> to come out, and your gimmick is, I'm a fucking man of this promotion. And he just absolutely does it with just perfect aplomb. Real match winners want that ball when it's on the line. Yes, give him it, because he scored a volley from 40 yards. Shira, <laughs> so much all of them. Phillips, pan, thank you. Pandemic, Mo- <laughs> pandemic Moxley in front of people. I know, I know. Yeah, that's what, what a, a platonic point. ideal that happened last night. It was like, oh my god, like, he's the wrestler of the year. Oh my god, like regardless of star ratings, spreadsheets, and um, star ratings, and well, yeah, this year and star ratings, but like he's the wrestler of the year, and every week he shows you why, even if the bell doesn't ring. He's a genius. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Next, uh, we got the uh, Trios Championship match, those vacant titles, uh, with the Death Triangle versus Best Friends uh, with Danhausen, or on him in a bit. Um, we start off with Orange Cassidy and Penta, uh, and we get Orange Cassidy, you know, Orange Cassidy does the thing, and Penta does the Zero Miedo thing. And then you get the glove thing, and Orange Cassidy does it with his sunglasses. Good catch from Danhausen. Good stuff. Yeah, not bad. Anything he's good for. (laughs) Um, Kids, and he can sell merch. uh, It it all breaks down fast. All of them get involved. Uh, Death Triangle gets sent out to the floor, and Orange gets launched, the rocket launcher via um, Chuck and Trent onto the outside. Um, And Chuck Taylor hits a dive off the stage onto everyone. But uh, Pac takes... on the elite in it. Pack takes over. <laughs> I'm get, honestly, I'm gutted. Man. Stamps on the ankle. This is good for today, I think. Works the neck of uh, Trent. Uh, and then we get the moment between uh, Danhausen, who, of course, is then as Vable, my life. Um, and Alex Abrahantes. They face off on the floor. 
uh, um, Abraham says, does the whole, they're on the edge, and Danhausen curses him and then punches him in the cock. <laughs> the back, uh, pack walks out, kicks him in the cock, and then eats a crossbody from Orange Cassidy. Tornado DDT gets uh, Orange Cassidy a two count. Uh, then it all really kicks off. Chuck Taylor hits soul food on Phoenix. Beretta hits a half Nelson suplex and then a DDT on him. Um, then all six get involved. Huge moves. Uh, Pennant hits made in Japan on Cassidy. Uh, Death Triangle reverse a crunchy on Phoenix with a pair of su- super kicks. Pack makes the save after a crunchy on Pennant after he got sent into it via an orange punch. Uh, and then Death Triangle hits triple Canadian destroyers uh, to conclude with Chuck Taylor eating a black arrow from Pack for the one, two, three. Death Triangle, Michael Sidgwick are your new AW Trios champs. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. Not leap. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. This was really genuinely uh, fun, compact. Didn't give you a second to really, really concentrate on what could have been or what used to be for all of bloody three days. They worked their asses off. They came up on like with just some really, really cool sequences. Um, the triple Canadian destroyer was a proper unifying. It wasn't just like a really cool idea or a creative idea. It was, yes, I actually love Death Triangle, and they are proving it by the togetherness. I'm convinced they were on the outs on Sunday, and they would have been had the world not imploded. Um, but they've been one of the greatest trios in AEW history. It was definitely the right call to give them the belts. Some of the action in this was absolutely stellar. Some of the drama, the noise, the crowd heat. Um, it took me until the Canadian Destroyer set to, like, unfold my arms, <laughs> yeah. which had been a little bit stubborn. But it's not their bloody fault. Can you make a saved dog? <laughs> Why did we get suspended for saving a dog? I don't have an answer for that question. What do you call some uh, rough justice? <laughs> Death Triangle and Best Friends. You charmed me. <laughs> I uh, I thought I'm going to, this is starting to feel like a narrative now. Like, this was such a, like, obviously it was accident because it was going to a match that I walked out of a stream of when it was promoted on Sunday. It's on camera. He's boring. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, right, um, let's be honest, the trio's champion. Uh, trio's belts that Sidgwick said from pretty much day one of AEW, right, featuring two teams that have been around since day one of AEW, that the belts have only come into existence because they are oh, gone off tag team wrestling after the Young Bucks. And wait for Kenny to come back. Like, they should have existed from day one in this company. Pushing it, you. They should have existed from day one, and they've been fought over by two day one trio's outfits, and as Sidgwick pointed out, won by the trio's trio that probably deserved them the most, Right. I thought this was such a lovely, if happy accident, way to kick off this show. Like, back to basics. Uh, AW basics are uh, a triple Canadian destroyer spot. But back to the basics of, like, what the DNA of this organisation is. You kind of couldn't have happened upon a better match for better stakes. I I thought this was just a perfect collection of what this show needed and what AW needed at this point. There's going to be a lot of discussion about the soul of AW, I think, currently in the landscape. And this was... Like a kind of perfect encapsulation of what it once was and absolutely could be again. I didn't like love the match, but I loved what it was all about and what it represented. And I felt I'm like I've been a big critic of best friends over the years. I would have like felt quite a nice feeling had they won these belts. Yeah. This was like the best kind of participation trophy for either team that won when you kind of needed to be nice. Mm. I, I loved the vibe. I really loved it. The match was very good and very fun. Yeah. But a lot of this stuff, I'm the same as it kind of washes over me a bit sometimes. But I loved yeah, the I vibe. 
if it's the elite, it doesn't wash over. Yeah. <laughs> I love the vibe so much that I was just really happy for all of them. My only concern is I hope that the money that Tony is going to save by presumably not paying uh, people who have been suspended or whatever, he should give some of that to pack for his luggage luggage allowance because he's going to have to carry two belts around <laughs> now and he's going to be like, what's the weight limit? Oh, for f- two belts bastard. That's the only time where I'll allow someone to wear two belts, even though one of them I don't really care about. So on Christendom two pack on a Twitter. Yeah, yeah, nice, that. that's very good. That's good. Uh, right, and if you're wondering, well, the Dark Order in this, they were the other half of the you know inaugural trios title match uh, that got cleaned up yeah. next. Uh, they're backstage and everyone's injured. Um, John Silver's about to talk more about it, but then um, Jose comes in. I did like the your surname's the assistant line. Um, and uh, he's got a contract. I think he wants to, uh, to sign 10. Um, but Evil Uno grabs him and says, off, basically. The Dark Order's not for sale. In comes Andrade on crutches with Roosh. Um, and Silver says, the only thing you're speaking to with my fists. Might be forgetting something, but I'm pretty sure this was the only thing of the show that I didn't like. Oh, you're gonna, you've forgotten something. Trust me. Okay. None of the bit on this show that oh, I didn't yeah. like. Oh, God, yeah, of course. But I really didn't like this. This Again, this felt like a reminder of the unfocused AW from about a month, well, some of this year, compared to where the rest of the show was trending. Uh, it's recruitment stuff. Andrade, to be honest, is feeling a bit of a washout, isn't it? Yeah. Some wrong right. people come to the pub in the episode of The Office. This, uh, this run has not worked, and it's such a shame because we all had different pictures of Andrade looking like the guy that you could not fail with, and somebody else has failed with him boring nonsense content that I just had like no interest in no matter like what they're fighting over this feels already like it's building to a rampage match I don't want to watch custody and of 10 ladder match yeah like, the, like give over when you've teed up a rampage it's Vicky like could work you know how like she brought Andrade in at the end of the day <laughs> that's true she did LTST yeah you know when like this tournament the rampage brackets of the tournament before uh, all out and like oh the weaker matches of the trios tournament it doesn't feel like that with this championship one it's Darby and Sammy going again, you know. Uh, this feels like, oh, yeah, this is when like, he goes off rampage again and we have to pay this thing off after eight more weeks. I just This is the stuff that you need to be shunting off to one side. Mm. It's, it's rubbish. It's inessential nonsense. It's inessential nonsense. I still don't know what he wants with 10. <laughs> it's yeah. so weird. And ultimately, it wasn't anywhere near funny enough for like undercard prelim comedy. I know it's not meant to be funny on purpose. Like John Silver's meant to be like this kind of unfunny geek and so bad it's good. Some of his act anyway. I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, 43 years ago uh, this week, Cool and the Gang released their 11th album, Ladies Night. And guess what came next? It's Tony Storm, Penelope Ford. You know what that means? Michael Sidgwick. We didn't play the game. I know, we can still sing the thing. Well, this is ladies' night, and I'm thinking, no, what is It's the first hour again! Again. Shout out to Adam Blair, by the way. Thank you for reminding us. It was just a bit mad yesterday. We so met him, you know? We met him at the weekend. Did you? We, oh. He's, uh, he's going to Grand Slam, he was telling us. Fucking bastard. Take, bastard. Take, take a ladies' night sign. Arthur Ashe. Oh. Take a ladies' night sign, Arthur Ashe. Go on. Yes, we didn't, we didn't play this game yesterday, but once again in the first hour. That's our context. That makes him look very weird if he does this. <laughs> is it ladies' night? <laughs> Actually, yeah, what am I saying? Take, take signs with our names on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not hide my vanity about this. I like seeing signs with our names on and little catchphrases and stuff like that. Take, take them. Chris Jericho walks in the ring in a world title match. There's me. Yep, so, yep uh, exactly. <laughs> Sent it to all my friends. <laughs> Shameless. Uh, but yeah, put them in the first hour. 
I, I just, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Tony Storm versus Penelope before this was, what was it called? I forget, forget what they're called. If you win, you get a title shot, basically. Contenders? Eliminators. Eliminators. That's it, there we go. Um, they start fast. Uh, Storm out-wrestled her early on, but uh, uh, Penelope Ford took over after driving uh, Tony Storm into the steps. Uh, Ford hit, hits a drop kick to the back of Storm as she's leaning against the ropes uh, and a handspring elbow, then a big boot and a suplex for a nice two count. But as Ford goes for a Northern Lights suplex, Storm count as DDT, one, two, three. The finish kind of came out of nowhere, um, but just nice to see them, yeah, like I say, in the first hour and not in the death slot. This totally, totally ruled until it ever slightly didn't at the end. Um, but I don't want to be mega critical of that because the bulk of it totally, totally ruled. We've always been big supporters of Penelope Ford uh, and no, her getting nowhere near the opportunity she deserves because every time she brings it, like this was absolutely tremendous from her. And uh, like I'm starting to feel a little bit electrified by the form that Tony Storm is finding as well. Yeah. She is absolutely trending better and better and better with every single performance. She's clearly like getting a... Co- like, I don't want to do that thing where like you just blame WWE outright, but getting like her in-ring confidence... Completely botched it. <laughs> yeah, well, like getting her inner in confidence. She back can't from be too far as Tony, if anything. Not working. Don't remember that? Yeah. I remember uh, Tony's mum loved to listen to 80s music or whatever <laughs> it was. Like cake stuff, like just not wrestling all the time was clearly impacting her. And when she first arrived, you could see that like. Cake stuff, eh? <laughs> you know, like, like Jim Ross, are you? That's, that's are right. you talking about the fact that. You got that's uh, Charlotte. Right, yeah, Flair. So you, did, you didn't go full Jim Ross. I'm talking about Charlotte Flair, not over the revenue stream. Actually, you know what? Should I take the piss out of Jim Ross? Where was he? He wasn't on the show, was he? Why not? I think he came out. I read online he came out for Rampage. That's right. So we'll still take the piss out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He wasn't the new era of AEW. JR's gone. G O W N E. No, the match was like the match was really, really good. Gowney. stuff. For, for what <laughs> it needed to be. <laughs> Your thoughts on this match? Exactly the same. Like the first two, like I was probably a little bit less generous because the first two minutes were electrifying, strategic, like rapid, like proper way having a wrestling match. I need to put you away. Like really well wrestled, like a great champion's performance on Tony Storm. Mm. And then the hard ad break followed by the anticlimactic finish. It was like oof, very much a match of two yeah. halves. But ultimately the placement, again, it's this WWE curve stuff. When I talk about oh, the same wrestling guys, let's get my cock out. <laughs> have a nice jacket in celebration because, oh my God, someone's got their first name back. <laughs> He's on courses for celebration. Yeah. Bare minimum stuff. This is bare minimum stuff, but a good version of it. Yeah, exactly. My viewing experience, I must say, was better last night. Because sometimes when I stay up to watch it live, I fly to America to watch it on American television. Ah, to get right. the real authentic advertising experience. Yeah, yeah. But last night, just I like... Just went went with a stream that didn't require me to fight America. So it was uh, paid for fight, did you? No, uh, no wheel of fortune beforehand. Give me a goddamn code. Yeah, no wheel of fortune. Yeah, <laughs> I like American wheel of fortune. It's weird. It's like they add extra rounds for no reason. <laughs> it's like lasts about two hours. Hey, remember Karen from the first hour? She's back because she wants to win the double jackpot. It's just wheel with numbers on. <laughs> Guessing some letters. Get to the point. Oh God, have you seen what they're doing on uh, this morning? It's now? a double puzzle, puzzle trouble. This morning, this weird dystopian oh, The last thing this future. podcast needs is a 10-minute oh, socialist rant from Michael Hamflit. It's bad, though, isn't it? The yeah. black yeah, and stuff. Like, I've, like, I've really sort of, between muting words on Twitter and just trying to chill out because it was bad for my mental health to just see the constant decline of society, but wow. Yep. Like Anyway, let's cheer ourselves yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, the wheel of poverty. <laughs> because uh, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Anja here, uh, welcoming Hook to the real world. Uh, they mention Action Bronson, and we get a promo from Action Bronson who says, uh, don't ever in your life 
try and step up to me or to Hook again in the way that you did. I think they said was, Hook's crazy, but you don't know me. <laughs> but they are going to know him because when they come to Queens in a few weeks, they're going to see him. They're going to be fighting at Grand Slam. Matt Menard concludes, sorry, where are my manners? Daddy Magic confu- concludes by saying, Action Branson, I'm the 21st. You're going to get a taste! Oh, my God, I love this. Yeah, class. Something... Bollocks to the world title tournament. <laughs> like, the thing is with Hook, I'm bored of Hook versus undercard prelim comedy guy at this point, but associating him with um, a celebrity is hopefully an indication that his profile is going to be raised that bit more. 2.0. Perfect. And like, welcome to the business, kid! That's the thing. You can never do it, this formula, because they've done it with Nice, and now they're doing it with 2.0. And I think they did it with someone else before all that. This is the pinnacle of this hook formula after 2.0, who are perfect in the spot. There's nowhere else to go after this. So Mm. maybe that reassures me about this uh, program as well. I was told to get excited about Action Bronson as well. I wasn't terribly excited by what I saw at the pay-per-view, but I was told to. So I will try. You know, like they've mm. promoted him as a thing to get hyped for. So if he disappoints on the night, that's fairly, you know, that's a failure of the promotion. They've told you to have some faith in this guy bringing something to the table. So it's okay to get excited about this celebrity match. How do you turn Swerve in our glory heel? I've got the answer for you. Have the acclaimed come out and not have Max Caster say a goddamn word before he cuts him off and says, I got a joke for you. The acclaimed is tag champs. Ha, 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 Billy Swerve's such a good heel. He was amazing, amazing. Billy Gunn cuts him off and says, I don't know if you've noticed anymore, this isn't your house. Uh, and Anthony Bowens confirms, rematch two weeks, New York, Grand Slam, uh, and they're taking home the goal because everyone loves the acclaimed. Phenomenal booking. What absolute have your cake, eat it, make money with cake at Grand Slam booking this was. Absolutely tremendous. And the acclaimed are just absolute mega baby faces. Swerve Strickland, as people who have followed his career know, it can be an absolutely incredible heel. Um, you, again, the fact that Caster didn't cut a rap makes me think that people in that company are scared of what's coming next, which um, gets me, in turn, scared about what's actually coming next to the situation. But regardless, if I try and park it, this is absolutely unbelievable booking. So excited about the rematch. Um, it's in the, the acclaims, like, home state. They should all be absolutely fabulous. And this is the absolute perfect way they could have done all of this. And just as a more general point, right? Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee, like even in spite of winning the tag team titles, or like maybe before then, they felt like um, what I used to refer to AEW as Spotify Premium, where it's like there is simply so much choice that's not being 16 and having like um, a like a CD case. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In that weird way, it just feels like there are so many options that feel like thumbnails on the streaming service. You just have to get the bus, save your money, yeah, go yeah. to HMP, buy the CD, get the bus home, listen to it, and listen to it again and again and again and yeah. again. You can add so much more value to that for the experience yes. and the money and all the other experiences. So that's right? my like, Spotify mm. premium take where it's like, all right, Swerve and Keith Lee for the longest time were like, uh in a different era of AEW, I'd be so in love with this act and so in love with the, guy, the fact that you guys are in it. But there's... You, as Keith Lee and Adam Cole, and separately in the same promotion when he was once so dominant and won, it just fit, it all yeah. felt a bit like greedy and unfocused and just hard to love all of it because you've only got so much love to give. They feel properly a part of AEW now, and I find that awesome because they deserve it. Yesterday, when we were having a bit of fun thinking what Max Caster might reference, I thought this was obvious because you, you are tiptoeing maybe 
into too dangerous a water, like with referencing anything at all, even a cupcake or something like that. This was, in fact, the perfect way to reference it by not referencing it at all. He tweeted a picture of a microphone mm-hmm. with Max on it to get people hyped for it so the crowd could get into it, and a perfect heel cut off, right? Somebody who does not wish to be identified for this take on account of it being a bit nitpicky and a bit negative, but is a brilliant one, to be fair. I, I think it's worth mentioning, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, what were the acclaimed coming out for? If there's, th- 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 I always get annoyed when there's this company that can think of things that I can't in a million years and I love them for it. Didn't think, oh, we hear from the acclaimed. Yeah. The the acclaimed address. All out. Um, all out. Oh, not not that because, actually, no, I cut off because I'm always going to cut them off. Because Swerve had already said Just, no to the rematch in the press conference. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going to find them again. The acclaimed um, discussed their future or something yeah. like that. I love the fact that every time previously they've had a miscommunication between uh, between Swerve and Our Glory, I've gone, oh no! When it happens in two weeks, I'm like, yes, <laughs> get in your pricks. Uh, so yeah, br- brilliant work for everyone here. Um, and then Chris Jericho is there with Tony Schiavone and the rest of the, the JAS, minus obviously Daniel Garcia. Uh, he says he's found the fountain of youth and he's drinking it in, man. Uh, Said he beat Danielson all out. He's the best wrestler of all time. He's the greatest sports entertainer ever. Uh, he says he's going to beat Danielson again next week. Oh, sorry, have I got this in the wrong order? Oh no, he just spoiled the result. Um, he said this is his title. AW's his company. This is his flipping locker room, basically. Uh, and he talked about his two little brothers in the JAS. Uh, he's got Sammy Guevara, who's going to be taking on Darby on Rampage, uh, and says uh, Darby this Friday, you're getting your little turtle loving ass beat. Jericho, yeah, we don't like turtles. Uh, he's trying to get on board with what his son likes. Yeah, turtles, what? Um, and he says his other little bro, Danny, tonight uh, is in action. He knows he's going to win. He believes in him, but still punishing him for what happened uh, on Sunday. He's leaving him alone. Uh, he's going to beat you, but he's going to have to do it without the JAS. He says, isn't that right, Sammy? And Sammy goes, sorry, I wasn't listening. I was just acknowledging how sexy we are. <laughs> What a twat. I love him. That's the most I like Sammy Guevara in about a year. Yeah. And Chris Jericho, despite giving away the result, was fantastic here. I love how everyone should be a, less like children appreciate all the time we've got. And we should appreciate the opportunity we have in AEW because this, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Do not ruin it. Do not ruin it. Do not ruin it. And um, I'm probably going to let my mask slip the most. <laughs> but we are clearly under instruction to just not mention it at all. It's my locker room. It's my locker room. Don't have a fuck. <laughs> when he said he said it twice, in both times, his face went a bit weird. Did you yeah. notice this? That's the face I think he makes when he's like so up a height on the idea of being Chris Jericho. That that's the face he makes when he like goes up to Lesnar. <laughs> or when, or when yeah. he, like, he puts Goldberg in a headlock where he's like, Chris Jericho, baby. He's like, three stars against Van Damme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know that meme that people post when people have arguments on the media about WWE and AEW, about like the man pointing about himself in the mirror? That's how I see yeah. Chris Jericho sometimes. This isn't about Chris Jericho, but you go in there and you make it about Chris Jericho. There was some prime Chris Jericho content here as well because um, it, him and Danison weren't that great, but he talked you into wanting the rematch yeah. somehow. Like, w- like, what a worker fundamentally. But the line, he's really good for the details about this sometime. Uh, Jericho knows what people think about his insecurities, about his look, about his age, about his hair, all those sort of, he, he knows, right? He knows he used MS Paint when he went to vote to... Oh, yeah. his, you know, he knows all of this, right? Referring to Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia as his little brothers rather than as his, his kids, adopted yeah. sons. Like, I couldn't, like, justifiably call Josh Brown. He's like a little brother. I know, you're his weird dad. Stop going to gigs <laughs> with him. Like, uh, it's... 
it's like it's so inspired of Chris Jericho to like want to put him there rather than as the father figure, even though he's formed this group as a like happily as a father figure to these younger talents. So great. And then the fact that he's like, yes, yeah, so let's compare six packs. Like, what a, what a weird couple of guys. The sex gods. Like, they're, I, love they're, the, I love the sex gods. Yeah. The, they're, they're back. They're back. Yeah. Uh, then we got a. You know what? This sport, sorry. So after this title tournament's done. This sports entertainment stuff needs to get nipped in the bud because it's rapidly out of date. Really is. The Sex God's doing a tag team title run. Mm. That's what yeah. I'd be all about that. They're so good together. It's the best time of years. It's one of the We'll have Max Castro have any ammunition on Chris Jericho, though. That's my concern. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything any low hanging fruit there? Yo. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Listen. Forty five minutes later. Yo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the entirety of Rampage. <laughs> Uh, right, then we got a, a, a pretty much a, a, a squash match again for the TNT Championship. It was uh, Wardlow in a handicap match against Tony Nese and his tiny knees. Um, and he just batted him, powerbombed him three times. And uh, crowd pops and he goes to powerbomb Mark Sterling. Josh Woods makes the save. i got to be honest, at this moment I go, I think I'm kind of over the whole Wardlow thing right now. And as if they could hear that thought forming in my mind, Wardlow, give me a... Give me a mic. <laughs> Scott Steiner. He says, I have been hearing a lot on the internet uh, about what I should be doing. I'm the TNT champion. It's time to be remind everyone, including everyone in that locker room, and this business, and all of my fans, this is Wardlow's world. You went hype for this on Twitter, I saw last night. Massively. Like, I'm glad I never said anything about, bad about him or the, uh, the momentum stalling on various podcasts <laughs> and articles. Otherwise, I'd be really scared right now. This is amazing. Like, I'm more, I've become more and more surprised the more we talk about this about your bad vibes. AW's back. Like, I feel like, I, I, this was. It's, it's AW, though. It's mm. all wrestling. <laughs> because the elite aren't in it. They're like, they're so, they're so in touch. Like, this is so in touch. Like, Tony, like, with his very self aware night for Tony Khan, and I don't say that very often. Like, spotting a lot of things that people are saying and actively acknowledging them rather than, like, Listening company, all these old things like this is happening here. Like, what a, a, a kind of botched project coming out and saying, I know I'm a botched project, but I'm still going to f you up mm. is bold strategy. And it worked. Like, he got a bigger cheer as a result. Like, like, acknowledging things, as we said yesterday, about if only somebody had just said, Hey, CM Punk, you don't get along with Colt Cabana. What are you going to do about that? Well, that would have probably stopped all of this happening. They've just faced it head on and fixed it in the same breath. Like, what? I, I never saw this coming that they would, like, you know, like when pushes aren't working, it's so dangerous to be like, hey, anybody notice that this push isn't working? Mm -hmm. I'm going to fix this. But Wardlow's was over before and can be again and has confidence and looks amazing that people were like, yeah, sorry about that, Wardlow. Yeah, I'm back this on board. This was, the, the, the rest of the show was fantastic. This is the, one of the first thing where I wasn't mourning what could have been or a little bit like, mm, where's your lead? <laughs> because what I loved about this promo is that you know they have something incredible lined up to justify the belief that he's trying to instill in the fans all over again. He doesn't just say it and then work... Uh, he's a, he's a mid-card dickhead. Ryan Nemeth. Yes. He's already done him. Oh, uh, yeah. Shit. Another one. Ethan Page. Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're not doing that. Matt Hardy for eight weeks. Yeah, they're not doing that. They've obviously got something on yeah. their sleeve, otherwise they wouldn't get the cock out on the table. <laughs> it's it's got to be like eight inches on that. Otherwise, you just wouldn't do it. The Warhog. Uh, yeah, hype video. Is his car. <laughs> <laughs> 
great hype video on Symphony on, of Penises. Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen over the years. And then we got Hangman Page versus Brian Danielson uh, in the first round of this Tournament of Champions. Uh, <laughs> shut up, man, you absolute are. And it's gone. <laughs> I do like the weird relationship. I've seen this a lot on uh, Twitter because of stuff that goes down, presumably on Dark or Dark Elevation. Weird relationship with Regal and Excalibur. He called him a buttercup on this one. And she said, oh, I can get away with it. I'm an eccentric Englishman. And he can. He bloody Regal. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And why, why is that so good? People are enjoying it, aren't they? They're like, they're clipping the videos and that and enjoying it. So I've got two of the absolute wildest takes on William Regal, right? I'm only going to say one of them here because the other one, I don't want to be the main character of wrestling media for a day. I'll give you the positive one and then I'll tell you afterwards the other one. William Regal is 10 times better in AEW than he ever was in NXT, even during its prime. I consider that a hot take. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. I'd, like people so love, you say you taught Danielson how to gyrate in this match. Yeah, he's that. just the best. What did he do in NXT other than functionally set up matches with That's his it. warm, authoritative presence? Shout out and shout What's an games. iconic William Regal moment apart from war games? There isn't one, but like... Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think he was just... Because there's so few like steady eddies in WWE ever, I think that was what he was praised for. There, was no, there wasn't a single... Silly willies. I, I would say the same about his uh, matches, actually. Like, he was such a steady Eddie, never cared. Like, I never, I'd never watch a William Regal match again in my life, quite honestly, maybe one. But, like, he's this guy who's like, oh, what a legacy, what a bad catalogue. Where? What? Like, uh, I don't like punch Finley in the face all over the place, that was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was there. So what happened with uh, Goldberg? Don't sleep on the Goldberg shoot. Like, there's, like, there's all these sort of, like, five or six. It's like, yeah, he's, he's all right. Like people, people like really toast him and celebrate him. You know, he's nearly as I think he's like nearly as good as uh, Lord Alfred Hayes and Ariel Hawa in his eyes. He's just so much better when he's funny, and he's an incredibly funny guy. Yeah. Also, he's so banter. The easiest interview I've ever done. Hello, William. How are you doing? Ten minutes later. Right, time for a first question. I love him. He's he just he, I could listen to him read the phone book genuinely. And he's got and he's got so many great stories to tell. Obviously. And then a not entirely unrelated fact to that, it's really helpful when you want to be high up in the podcast charts. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, some people, you know, not everyone can be number one, but, you know, good try. Uh, Danielson and Hangman uh, exchange chops to start this off. Danielson, of course, takes it to the ground and just stomps on the knees of Hangman, uh, who fights back with a lariat on Danielson when he's on the apron. Danielson spills to the floor, dodges a dive, though, and sends Hangman into the ring uh, ring post shoulder first. He's tar- targeting that right arm of Hangman because he's got the bookshot lariat. Uh, this is where Regal says, I told him how to gyrate, you know. <laughs> uh, Danielson goes for a crossbody, but Hangman brilliantly catches him and hits a fallaway slam. Tope goes for a dead eye in the ring, but Danielson fights out of it and still just goes back to bicep. I'd hate to have a match with Brian Danielson. It just I told you the story with James when I was, I was so high on the dragon coming in that I said, I'd already watched the Nick Jackson one it was on Rampage. I was like, James, watch this, watch this. I want to watch it again. So you just got, it's 15 minutes, James, get into wrestling. Horrified by what Danielson was doing to his arms, he's horrified. He's like, he's and traumatized my kid about wrestling. Is Brian Danielson? That's how brutal he is at the art. I think I'd rather fight Wardlow, genuinely. I think I'd, I'd walk wouldn't well, I wouldn't walk away from either. <laughs> but I just at least it'd be fast with Wardlow. It just yeah. feels torturous. Brian would luxuriate in it. Oh, you horrible bastard! I love you. 
Uh, he hits a roundhouse kick to uh, to Hangman Page, gets a two count, uh, but Hangman cuts him off on the top rope and hits a moonsault fall away slam for it. Yeah. yeah, quite rightly for a two count. He goes to the bookshop, but Danielson rolls to the other side of the ring. Smart guy. Uh, they exchange chops in the middle of the ring, uh, and Hangman hits an elevated sit-out powerbomb for a two-count. Danielson fights back with those hammer and anvil em- elbows on the top uh, turnbuckle. Goes for a suplex, but Hangman hit, hit, nails a backflip. Larry is him, but Danielson immediately fights back and puts him in the label lock. Um, he just tortures him here again. Yeah, Danielson skins the cat. Uh, turns a maid into Japan to an arm bar, rolls back into the bell lock, uh, but Hangman rolls Danielson out of it, hits knees to Danielson's shoulder, um, hard forearms. Hangman counters the Busaiku knee with a beautiful dead eye, goes to the moonsault press, but Danielson moves and hits the Busaiku knee, but Hangman, just like Danielson did earlier, rolls out of the way. Hangman then hits a powerbomb on the apron, moonsault on the floor on Danielson, but Danielson... Ducks a buckshot lariat that he can't, you know, quite hit as well as he could because of the arm being targeted. Um, and uh, Danielson O'Connor rolls in with a nice bridge for the one, two, three. This is fantastic. Not quite as good as the first two matches, but there'd be some job when they've been told, presumably like 48 hours ago at most, are oh, you having a match against? Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, some of this was so absolutely spectacular. Like, Hangman Page, and maybe this is like, you know, when you hear something, it kind of informs your opinion a little bit. But it's like, you know, he's been told he's a little bit too stiff and on Anderson had to have a word. When he's driving the knees into those <laughs> shoulders, I thought, oh my God, are you okay? When he smacked him in the head with that lariat, you're thinking, oh my God, this is absolutely great. Um, there was stuff that they kind of did in the previous matches. So it wasn't quite as... What I loved about the 90 minutes they shared is that it went from, I'm going to... your Buckshot Lariat requires, like, two body parts. So I'm going to really work on both of them. And, in fact, I've spent so long, they're not, neither one's weakened enough to get you over the 60 minutes. And then it goes to this, they're both bloody messes, and Danielson's like, well, all strategies out the window. I can't work a body part. You're too strong. You're too resilient. I'm just going to headbutt your, the blood out of your face. <laughs> and it was just, like, the desperation, like, the most primitive kind of violence from crafted to primitive violence over 90 minutes and still nothing was enough for the hangman. It was the height of his reign, if I'm being honest. this They'd already told such a perfect story, so to go through some of the beats again at such short notice, yeah. it was a little bit bit familiar, not quite as great, but still like minimum four-star stuff. This was just great. Um, but they just focused it on the arm, and then the red herring of I'm still just a master with so many different layers to the puzzle that is Danielson that I can just roll you up at the end. Um, love this correct results. Yeah. Um, and the hammer, Michael Hamflit has got some thoughts on Page as well going forward. Yeah, I love so of all the people that were directly related to Sunday's incident. I'm so pleased that Hangman Page is the one that still comes to work because. Obviously, one of the most important things about his run-up to Kenny Omega was his ability to play this guy, a completely brand-new babyface. Like, it's so hard, and re- you know, Sidgwick pointed this out over and over again, it's just so hard to have a new character or a new way of doing the form, and they did it with Hangman Page. Um, the months of thinking, when's Page going to turn heel? And it was Kenny all along, and then you realise why that was, and all the rest of it. They've, they're back there again. Like They've really looked out that it was Page that wasn't the one involved in the fist fight because it's really hard to sell an anxious millennial or somebody that wears setbacks like on his sleeve 
that affect his work and his personal life if you visualise him swinging punches in an ugly locker room fight. Yeah. He's the guy that's been named in this. He's the guy that had a little bit of something to do with it. And you could hear the boos, and you could hear that people have like starting to like nail the colours to the mask when it comes to Hangman Page. And he's going to, in character I'm talking about, in kayfabe, hear those boos and think, oh man, was I, was this because of me? And you can really play with that. He's so good at portraying turmoil mm. and like inner panic and anxiety. He's anxious and learning with all that sort of stuff. Like, he's so the right guy for this. And I love, again, like real life can sometimes really help wrestling. There's always this kind of happenstance. I think this is going to inform a really cool like arc of like we say this about the elite and the elite are still here in the form of Hangman Page. That's pretty like for you know for your sort of thing, Sid. At least there's this thing clinging on to yeah, all the rest of it. The, the long-standing back, good. <laughs> the backstory that never ends of the elite, and this is one long story. This is the latest bit of Hangman Pages. Where was it going to go next with the Dark Order? We almost don't need to know because this is kind of more intriguing, isn't it? His aesthetic was ever slightly different. Like the hair was slicked back, and he didn't look as sort of tanned and confident as prepared as he's been since he won the title because that was the making of him or so we thought and now look it's real life when you think you you know sort of like what is it like high in april shot down in may like that's what hangman page is now living and this was a better illustration of it than anything they gave him after he lost the world title like they undercooked that in hindsight and this now is feeling like where we're gonna go with page he's got to come out to these mixed reactions he's got to come out to mjf like addressing the elephant in the room the real one is on Hangman Page's shoulders and he can't talk about it. And that's so inspired. And I thought... Easy sea biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing, that one. Unbelievable. The one thing working against this match compared to the other two for me was, obviously, Sidney was right, you get told with two days, it's like, you know, you've gone 90 minutes together, you got anything new? (laughs) Yeah. What what you've done for me lately was the fact that that dynamic was very clearly set up as Brian as the heel. Situational heel that was pretty vicious and nasty to all the members of the Dark Order and was ready. He believed he was just better than Paige and he's going to, like, I was working WrestleMania and Monday Night Raw. What yeah. you Why ain't you got your gear on? All that sort of stuff. This was kind of two baby faces having to have the, who's the better wrestler? It's a tougher sale. Yeah. A tougher sell as well. But the Paige stuff, I'm absolutely fascinated by. And again, I remain quite happy that the bad stuff has happened for the good that will follow. Uh, we got a pre-tape promo from Jungle Boy uh, talking about what happened with, with Luchasaurus and Christian Cage, obviously at the pay-per-view. Uh, Christian Cage uh, is off for surgery, and Jungle Boy says, don't worry, when you're back from surgery, I'm going to take years off your life. Uh, and he says, in the meantime, Luchasaurus, it's funny, you used to uh, carry me on your shoulders because for three years I carried you on my back. Uh, he says, you're a liability, you're a joke, you're a giant anchor, he says, basically, that's been released from my ankles. Uh, sometimes you can move on from your past. Sometimes, Michael Sidgwick, you have to destroy it. I thought this was great. Genuinely great promo from Jungle Boy, who's come on he leaps. He the head with some water, didn't he? Or yeah, who's come on absolutely leaps and bounds. It's not just the conviction of his delivery, but like the like finding something to really nail someone with, with a bit of like verbal poetry and the line about carrying, which is so inspired. Mm. Uh, I thought this is genuinely his best work on the microphone, you know. Yeah, I love this. I wasn't mega high on. We kind of like pointed out there weren't so much plot holes, but it was a bit difficult to buy the whole Luchasaurus stuff when he turns and turns back and all that sort. Of, and we kind of thought, well, is the return coming? And as it turned out, the dinosaur was the mess made. Like that's that's a weird yeah, story, silly. isn't it? But I thought they'd like tied it all together here, and yet again. Um, so the issue with one of the many issues with AEW this year has been that feeling of like, hang on, wasn't like Darby Allen on this course, and wasn't Sammy Guevara on this course, and. Jungle Boy and like I've named the three pillars there accidentally without MJF, but like I didn't mean to. There was a, that was happening a lot. A lot of people that just felt stalled and the, the journey had just somehow gone skew if. On one night, 
you've got Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen, a match set up with all their history being mm. used as a reason, like that kind of informs it. It's like, that we're going to package was we're so gonna, good. We were known for killing each other and we're going to go again, you know, and Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, again, l- much like the Death Triangle Best Friends matches, like there's a lot of like AW DNA stuff going on here and everybody getting back on mm. track. And I just, I like, it, it just felt like it fit the profile of this particular episode that Jungle mm. Boy and Luchasaurus were going to have their moment. Now it's like these again feel like originals, finally getting back where they should have been before everything went a bit skewy. Yeah. Uh, then we got Stokely Hathaway coming out. Uh, he announced himself as king of the ladder matches, and he's got the uh, Devil's Rejects, as uh, <laughs> Hamlet's dubbed them, with him. Uh, and then some guy comes in and goes, wrap this up. We're running low on time. And Stokely says, you know who I am, blah, blah, blah. And just sets the boys on him, basically. And they all beat him up and then hold him up for W. Morrissey to hit that big boot. Uh, I did like Lee Moriarty's, you just got to knock the hell out uh, down the camera lens. But uh, I'm not sure about this, Hamlet. Oh, boy. Um, You cannot sell. Uh, Oh, no, this is absolute bedlam out here in the ring in the controlled environment on television when... Everybody watching your yeah. show knows a real fight between your top star and EVPs. Not even just like Guevara and Kingston. You could do this angle. They they had their little thing. Not now. No. Like this is. But it's wrestling, so you have to. Well, I know. I don't do work shoots. Not that it was a work shoot, but you know. This is Nexus invading on the day that Vincent Mann resigns. Like, what is the future of this company? Well, I'm interested in the real life ramifications, but not what <laughs> because Nexus have just ripped up the canvas. Like this, like the word. I understand that this was where it was supposed to go, clearly. But the worst possible idea to do in light of things. This, I feel really sorry for the talent involved, and this speaks to Sidgwick's point yesterday about like a lot of guys that will suffer as a result of CM Punk's words on Sunday, that are been un- unfairly affected by CM Punk's words. This angle, or however you go with these guys, this version of it needed to be dropped and completely rethought. Yeah, this wasn't good. But I will say one thing nice about it. I just realized, you know, it's even harsher on MGF because CM Punk was his, like, teenage childhood hero. That That's another layer to this. And the guy had three months, and he was almost guaranteed to have come up with something so perfect that he might have even turned babyface. Uh, CM Punk might have even turned babyface on the back of what he did. What a disgrace. Anyway. Anyway. Well, you reminded me of something after that. Yeah. Anyway. What I liked about this is the whole idea is that I'm not the biggest fan of it as long as not too many people are doing it, but whatever, of the, the company being the heel, but them running out of time when it's this particular faction's time to get their stuff across was very in keeping with what they've, I think, between MGF and Page, mm. Ethan Page, have been trying to do all along. We're having a bit of fun on this podcast with people who we clearly favour in this big spat, but I think it's absolutely worth saying that there were a lot of people at fault for a lot of reasons, and the CM Punk one in particular is this. It's, it's all over the place, the things he said. Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon at WrestleMania 10. They get backstage, and they're greeted by out-and-out locker room leader and vet, Randy Savage. And what does he do? Bollocks cla- them. Classic, isn't it? He bollocks them because they ran long. The Ten people have lost their WrestleMania payday. A ten-man tag. It was meaningless, but it was cut. It was supposed to be the filler between the ladder match and the main event, and it was cut because they ran out of time because Razor and Shawn went long, and it was indulgent. And it was amazing. Iconic match. Randy Savage bollocked them because as a locker room leader, he understood that it was more important to let those 10 people know that them losing a the payoff will not be ignored and will not be forgotten or forgiven. 
CM Punk is costing all these people their like their paydays and their livelihoods and their, maybe not as in an extreme, but you know, like the yeah. angle doesn't land as yeah. well. A lot of the stuff of all out felt did. Like that's there's levels to this game, you know, and if you want to be that guy, you have to also think about the consequences of being that guy. And there's a you know, that in the interest of a bit of balance, that's like that's also what CM Punk did. Mm. Uh, well, for those of you complaining online that FTR aren't getting any title shots, they have got one now. It's just Dax Harwood fighting Claudio <laughs> on Rampage for the yeah, Ring of Honor title. Okay. I mean, it'll be a great match. I'll talk about it on the preview. Indeed. Uh, and then we got the main event. It was uh, Wheeler Utah versus Daniel Garcia for the Ring of Honor Pure Championship uh, with Pure Championship rules, of course. No close fists. Uh, three rope breaks and... Then you can get submitted in the ropes if yeah. you relinquish all three. If you break the rule, you get DQ'd, but you lose a title by DQ, so it matters. I, I quite like you? it. Can I just shock you? I think I quite like the pure rules in this match. <laughs> like, uh, uh, it's, it's a great application. Yep. Uh, Daniel Garcia understandably gets a hometown reception, particularly with Westside Gun wrapping him to the ring. Uh, and we get Jerry Lynn, uh, which popped me. Uh, every time I see him, I think of the Motor City Machine Guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> BJ Whitmer and Matt Seidel as the judges as well. Yeah, yeah, there's judges here. Um, and, yeah, it's these these two weird sort of not mirror images of each other, but, you know, alternative universe, multiverse versions of each other almost. Uh, and that's showcased early on because they just collide in the middle of the ring and nothing happens. They're just, uh, just scratching and clawing for the, the, the smallest uh, advantage here. Uh, they both roll to the outside, uh, and the referee's like, come on, get back in the ring. Um you uh, eventually uh, forces Garcia to uh, use a rope break, and you can hear the sort of uh, the groan from uh, commentary because it's so crucial to this sort of match. Uh, but he uses that to uh, to dump Uter out on the floor. Then there's a chop battle, sweet Jesus, between these two. Um, I'm not sure if this at this point or whatever. I think it was maybe later. There's a bit where <laughs> Daniel Garcia slaps Wheelie Uter so hard he goes down for an eight count. Which is just so good. Uh, you hit a flying forearm on Garcia off the top rope. Um, um, Garcia hit a palm strike on you and two back suplexes and a lariat. That gets him a near fall. Uh, Garcia hit a German suplex off the middle ropes on Utah, who landed almost right on his head. But, it lo- you know, it looked absolutely good and bad at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Um, Garcia- Don't do it again, but yeah. I, like, I like that. <laughs> Garcia... Uh, hits a superplex on Uta and puts the puts Uta uh, in the Dragon Tamer, which was great. Uta makes it to the ropes, and then they exchange submissions until Garcia finally locks on the Dragon Tamer and almost lays his head arches it back so much that he's Uta's head's right. He's almost looking at him. What are you doing here? Sort of thing, uh, and just uh, just wrenches on it. It looked spectacular, and he finally Uta can, can't make the ropes. He's stuck. He's getting contorted all over the place. And he taps, he submits. Daniel Garcia is the Ring of Honor pure champion. Post-match, you get the uh, the code of honor between uh, Garcia and Utah. Uh, but Brian Danielson is the one to come down to the ring and put the title round the waist of Daniel Garcia, who's so happy to have this moment. But this, this confetti and stuff going off. It's a lovely hometown moment. Um, and what a moment for him as well with Daniel uh, Brian Danielson. Uh, rewarding him with that. Cut to Chris Jericho's face. What are you doing? 
Why are you being happy with him in the ring? I thought it was a, a great way to sign off uh, this episode of Dynamite Siege. Beginning to end the presentation of this entire angle, match, storyline development vehicle was just absolutely sensational. There's a bit in the match itself. And like obviously some of the wrestling was unbelievable. Yeah. Perfect, competitive, dramatic, slick, whatever. The tone they managed here was absolutely great. It felt so much like two young studs <laughs> just going out there and trying to maximize their minutes. <laughs> it really felt like they were desperate to get this moment. It felt like they were desperate to manufacture a tone of we actually hate each other and we have this really deep-rooted competitive spirit. And we're jostling for every advantage. And there was a bit where they were slapping each other, like the double slap <laughs> yeah. exchange, like ba-bang, ba-bang, ba-bang. That was absolutely incredible, but the tone was just so great. Um, the finish was absolutely sensational. There was so much to enjoy about this. And then you got the shot. Sometimes AEW is honestly cinematic. So much so that when you see them do backstage interruptions for the affections of 10, you think, is there two bookers? <laughs> and one of them's just a bit rubbish because the shot of Yuta slouched in the corner going, got off with a Yuta, have you? <laughs> it was just magnificent yeah. because you can just see things coming. You don't know when they're coming. You kind of want them to happen because you think, Oh, Garcia's like the nicest guy and he yeah. deserves this. And in his hometown of all places, and his facial expression and his emoting over the past month has been absolutely wonderful. And so much so that you're thinking of uterine going, ah, you're going to resent this. And he kind of should. It's really layered and textured. Mm. All of this is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. Luxurious chemistry between these two, as we know. And it's great when that gets to be celebrated and not in the way where you're sick of seeing rest. That's the thing that like is often the difference between AEW and WWE. Um, there was once a point where they were trying really hard not to do rematches until they realised the trick is, is just to make the rematches matter. Um, so rather than just feeling like you're watching regurgitated content, you're seeing, oh, they're going again. Like you, like you A bit like Danielson and Paige, actually. Like They're going to war one more time. What can they do this time? That's how rematches should work. Yeah. It should always feel like a continuation. It should feel like, you know, like fo football matches over two legs. It should be like kind of an endless thing where like right there, what worked last time, what didn't work last time. Like it should be about strategy and about counters and all that sort of stuff. These have got that out the ass and it's going to carry on. We talk about all the time, legacy rivals in AEW, that's going to be great. The wheelie a shot sends my brain into overdrive and I think I've figured out what I want to see. So I'd mentioned the double turn. Like there's, I think there's like a natural double turn you could do here. And I think how you get there, and I think why they're lent on the pure rules here, is sports entertainment who thinks he's a Lionheart, Chris Jericho, is going to challenge Daniel Garcia for the pure title, yeah. right? And then he's going to be like, but it's JS, yeah? And he's going to make the judges like Hager and 2.0. And, oh. and then the fix is going to be in and Utah's going to screw him to join the JS. And Garcia's going to be like, I'm on the bones of my ass, and then the invitation to the BCC is going to be extended. And I like, like that. From one look at Wheelie Uta's face, I was starting to like manifest all these different combinations and ways of things of doing it. And that's that's booking because you're supposed to be encouraged to like speculate yeah. on things. So tremendous. I want it to be long after the Jericho influence over the BCC. I want to do the Cobra Kai storyline where you've got two boring fighting. Or you're speaking my language. Yeah, where it's going to be Mox and. Garcia versus Brian and Utah. It's like friendly rivalry or I don't know, that's going to be the full blow. Oh, right. <laughs> like, it's like a year down okay, the line. Yeah, okay. A year down the line. So you subvert the Danielson-Garcia thing. So then Garcia's the be better baby face. But then again, Utah had the best baby face match of the year. Yeah. So whatever you want to do, I'm sure it'll be great. With some 80s music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, let us know your thoughts on uh, a hell of a... 
what's the phrase? Pulling it out of fire? That's, I think, the best way of putting it, because we were concerned heading into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's probably, it's probably an expression that we're all missing. I'm, mate, yeah. I'm, I'm, mate, I'm sure you just didn't get it there. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it was it was one with it. Pulling out the fire. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Oh. oh, it's not. It's, what's his catchphrase? Uh, it's good, but it's not the one. Yeah, it's yeah, good, yeah, but it's yeah, not yeah. the yeah. one. If it's up there, I'll give you the money myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, a hell of an episode of Dynamite. Do let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch, they can follow both, all three of us, in fact. Uh, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Uh, you can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. I've got really bad toothache. Have you? Yeah, what a bitch. Well... Tweet him some home remedies, because yeah, you can't get a goddamn dentist appointment with a love no money. Well, you could for money, but I don't know. If you have got a bad toothache, and maybe you want to have something to take your mind off it, if you think <laughs> it's not working, why not, I don't know, read a book? Uh, Becoming or Leak the Rise... dumb life? <laughs> Becoming or Leak the Rise of AEW, the brilliant book all about AEW... The, the first version of AEW uh, is available right now on Amazon. Do go AW and check that 1.0. out. AEW 1.0. Oh. What's, uh, just really quickly, sorry. What's uh, Stack's favourite book? I'm not talking to you, love. Uh, what are you saying? What's Stack's favourite book? <laughs> just fun. Go for it. You got book version? I like the audio book. <laughs> like, check out the 2.0 review. There's a line in The Godfather where they talk about how Sonny's got such a massive cock that it turns uh, women's guts to mush. Adam Wilborn, <laughs> Twitter, you've got to follow me. At uh, WhatCulture WWE, what culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast. What culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcast from. For daily wrestling podcasts, including another podcast from the three of us later on today. All about, I mean, maybe the, maybe the fight in AW. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We'll be talking all about that a little bit later on today. So make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. For that, and of course, me and Sige will be here for the Rampage preview tomorrow as well. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. <laughs>